Welcome to the Inside Out Money Podcast. Can't even recognize this place. Too many pieces of our past mistakes. Hi, I'm Maggie, and I believe real change starts from the inside out. So let's work together to improve our money and our lives from the inside out. We will explore all things money and our relationship with it. Join me each week with a rotating set of co-hosts, friends, and interviews. Let's jump in. Hey Liz. Hey Maggie. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to see your face. Yeah, I feel like I haven't seen you in a while. Been a minute. Sometimes when we record, you know, in advance or something, there's just like a longer gap between seeing you, but it's good to see you. Mm -hmm. And this is one of your favorite topics. Like, I don't know a lot of people that are passionate about HSAs. You're right up there on the list. It's, 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 I would say HSAs are very high on my list of things I am passionate about. I don't know what that says about me, but they are so magical and and I think underrated, underutilized, and even among people who know about them and know how great they are, there's still little details, little hacks, little tricks that I think are interesting. Like there's usually something for everyone to learn. Well, one of the biggest hacks, we'll share it later, but I didn't know about, I think until talking to you, perhaps on Friends on Fire, actually. It was on Friends. So I don't know if you remember, but our first, what do I want to call it? Our first ever friend date. <laughs> So basically, for listeners who don't know, I decided that I loved the podcast Friends on Fire and I wanted to get myself on it. And then I went on it and I was like, Maggie is very cool. And I have now decided that I'm going to turn Maggie into my friend, not just like my internet, Instagram, occasional DM friend, like my honest to goodness, text you when I have good news friend. Well, I think you told me that in the episode, though, like you were very open about you didn't like sort of subtly edge around, uh, you know, and like you you literally said, like, I want to be friends with you. I think or something like that. I I try to be pretty direct. <laughs> it's a good quality. Well, we will put a link to that episode because you you've got some HSA episodes on Liz Gets Loaded. And then there's also that Friends on Fire HSA episode. So we'll put for anyone that just feels like this isn't enough of an HSA discussion, <laughs> you need more than one in your life today. We'll put a link in the show notes if you need yeah. to hear how it all I, began. I think that's great. I, I have an episode of Liz Gets Loaded, my solo podcast, that is kind of a 201 that's like kind of a deep dive on on the tricks and the hacks so that's a good listen and then that the, the episode i was on a friends on fire is a good listen if you want the like maggie and liz friendship origin story well we should dig in because there's a lot to talk about and yes. a lot of excitedness coming from from your i mean i'm i'm like i like it hsas i think you love hsas i think that that's a fair assessment I really do love them. I just, you know, when you don't, I think this can apply to a lot of things. Like, I think this is relatable, not just for people who like HSAs, but you know how there's something maybe you don't fully understand and then you do understand it Mm -hmm. and you're like, oh, I get it. Yeah. Now I feel like, yes, I want everyone else to have the same feeling. And maybe it's 
I don't know, changing the oil in your car or some other thing that yeah. you think feels really mysterious until you know how to do it. Yeah, I did. I jump started a car by myself for the first time ever a few weeks oh ago. With Well, it wasn't from another car. It was from like a jump starter battery. So it was like, I, I felt legit. I was like with my mom at my house. I was like, oh my God, Greg's not here. I I, I could do this. Yeah. I'll, I'll read the instructions. Exactly. And I was like really scared. Like I was going to shock myself. Or, and I was like, oh, that was like super easy. And that's how you're going to feel about HSAs at the end of this. You're going to be Mm-hmm. just in time. We're within probably 30 days of many companies open enrollment periods for 2024 benefits. I can't even, right. sometimes when I'm like not at work, I forget the words that people use at jobs to describe things. Maggie, like, do you remember do how sometimes when you have a job, that's also where you get your health insurance? Yes. I hear that from people. I do. This will be the first time I go through the the prop. Oh no, the second time, I guess, with healthcare.gov. I'm just shocked that it's September already. And a good chunk into September. I know it feels this year is kind of flying by, but you're right. A lot of companies do their open enrollment towards the end of the year. Not all companies, some some don't, but it's it's pretty common, I think, for them to be in November or December. And then if you get your health insurance through the exchange, when does that enrollment? Uh, that's a great question that someone like me should know, right? <laughs> Hold on, let me, let me it's like actually, soon. I just Googled it because I didn't know it. I figured eventually <laughs> I'd get an email just like I did at work telling me that I've got some deadline ahead of me. Yep. It is November. November 1st is when it starts and then it mm-hmm. ends January 15th. So okay. yeah, perfect. It sounds like it's actually a much wider period than it was for at work. Companies. It, yeah, at yeah. work, it was like you were you were well locked in before the end of the year for that. Okay. So what should we start with? Like, why don't you describe what an HSA is? Yes. So why, why don't I say what it stands for? Because that's the easiest part. And then you actually explain <laughs> what it is. I was trying to think of something clever, like HSA could stand for like a oh, happy, a sexy, sexy apple. asset. I was going to say a hot, sexy asset, which <laughs> is what it is right it is a super hot sexy asset asset. if you like a nice financial hot sexy asset you're gonna love this hsa which also stands for health savings account it does stand for health savings account so a health savings account is a tax advantaged savings account designed for either individuals or you can have one as a family and it's only available for people who are covered by a high deductible health care plan and you might see this abbreviated as an hdhp so if you're going to enroll it might say do you want to enroll in an HDHP or an HSA plan. And so only people who are enrolled in those special kinds of healthcare plans can put money into an HSA. And then what happens is you open your HSA, you put money in pre-tax, and then as long as you use that money for medical expenses, you never have to pay taxes on the money that you put into that account. Yes. And we'll we'll get into that more because that is like th- there we got to double click on that. That's like yeah, the there's magic more to of, go. Yeah. Well, that's the magical beauty of this hot sexy asset we're talking about. <laughs> and if you don't if hot and sexy is too much, it could be like a happy a happy supportive asset. Yep. Is a little too. bit more of a PG term for it if you want to go with that. Like we're going to confuse people. They're going to forget what HSA actually stands for. I just remember HSA. The big thing to know is this, maybe this is what you were about to say is that it is not an FSA. So a lot of times people think like, oh, an account that you put pretext money into to pay for stuff. I've had one of those. It's the thing where it expires at the end of the year, right? No. So that's an FSA, a flexible spending account. That's kind of like, there's a lot of differences, but the big differentiator is, is if you had an account where the money expires at the end of the year, that is not an HSA. That's something entirely different. Yeah. And people do commonly get them confused. FSA mm-hmm. stands for a flexible savings account, mm-hmm. by the way. But it's actually a lot less not flexible. Very, ironically, it's not very flexible. So. I don't know who's in charge of 
naming these things. Yeah, Someone at the real. IRS, I would suppose. But I should be there because if I named it, it would be the hot, sexy asset. And it would be much more clear that you want the hot, sexy asset and not the <laughs> flexible savings account. I was trying it's to think actually of a, a flexible word. spending account. But... Oh, fle- flexible spending <laughs> account. Sorry. They can be helpful, but they're not quite as magical as an HSA. Yeah. They're both, if you if you can participate, usually you're doing one or the, is that true? Mm-hmm. That you're doing one or the other? You're right. Yeah. Okay. The other thing that is worth noting for people, because an HSA is tied to having a high deductible health plan, it is worth noting that you, some years might choose to have a high deductible health plan and you can participate mm-hmm. in an HSA that year. Then next year you could choose a regular plan. They don't really call it a like low deductible. They just call it a regular. <laughs> <laughs> it's, just, it's just not an H, not not a high deductible plan. Right. You could move to that because that fits better for your families. And then two years later, you could go back to a high deductible plan and put into your HSA again. It's not like you have to do an HSA every year and stick with it. You can kind of go right. off and on if there's particular needs where you need to do that. Yeah, exactly. That's the, the big downside to those plans is that they have really high deductibles, right? So those high deductible plans, I like to think of insurance, all insurance really, is you, you always have the option to like pay more now or pay more later. And so these are pay more later plans. They tend to have lower premiums. So you're paying less out of your paycheck or every month for the coverage. And then they have these high deductibles. It might, and high deductible can mean different things. It might be $2,000. It might be $10,000. Those plans in general, and of course we can't talk to the specifics of like every plan offered by every employer or by every insurance company, but in general, they tend to be best for the quote unquote young and invincibles. <laughs> so people who are young, Younger or who don't expect to have major healthcare costs for the year yeah. tend to do better on those plans. And I mean, we did an episode, I remember, on Friends on Fire on choosing your medical benefits because it's often an overwhelming choice that you have at many companies. Mm-hmm. And even in the marketplace, there's just, it's, it's actually more overwhelming in the marketplace. Your, your sure. workplace narrows it down to a set of often like, I don't know, 10 to 15, who knows the exact number. I'm sure it's different at different companies. I know companies that have free health insurance where it might be like you have one choice or something. I think it's usually fewer plans the smaller your company is. Okay, that's interesting. The number of plans can be overwhelming at many companies. And one thing that we actually talk about in this episode that if if you ever do feel overwhelmed is like worth going back and listening to is as much as Liz, you made a somewhat generality that usually it's like, you know, the young and invincible or whatever, Mm -hmm. but ultimately like all types of insurance, like you're paying now or later, right? And so it's even the high deductible plan like you are, you're paying the lowest premium, but there's the most risk that when you go to appointments, you're going to pay the most because you've got a really high deductible and a lot of things um, are not, are just not covered based on kind of how the plans work. But when you have a regular plan, that's not a high deductible, you're paying much higher premiums. Mm-hmm. So you're kind of trying to, it's a matter of like what risk you're willing to take on, right? You're, you're right. trying to predict the future medically. And if yeah. you know what your medical needs are every year, which some people do because they have some pre-existing conditions, but they don't know the unexpected expected stuff. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to kind of make, you know, the best decision for you. And so we we can't tell you if a high deductible plan is right for your specific situation. Right. There is no right or wrong here, right? You're kind of taking a risk no matter what insurance choice, insurance product you choose. Yep. A hundred percent. It would, plans can look so different from one employer to another in terms of premiums, in terms of deductible, copay, co-insurance. In general, high deductible plans are kind of something that have been, you know, specifically even marketed towards people who know that they're not going to have a lot of healthcare costs. Sometimes they're even called like disaster. I can't, is disaster plan 
plans or the, they're called something like catastrophe know. plans or something, but that doesn't, again, it, it really depends. Your, your best bet, if you're trying to like choose a health insurance plan might be to go to your employer and see if they have some kind of calculator that lets you put in, like, here's what I think my healthcare costs are going to yeah. be. And then it'll do the math for you. But yeah. Okay. But if you have decided, we are not here to tell you if a high deductible plan is the right choice for you, but if you have decided that it is, or maybe it's the only option that your employer offers, if you're enrolled in a qualified high deductible healthcare plan, you can contribute to an HSA. And if you have access to it, this is like really something you want to think about and learn about because it can save you a ton of money. Like it's great to use as intended. And we should talk about kind of what the original intention was, but then there's all this sort of like loopholes, HSA hacks and loopholes and like tips and tricks that you can use to really get the maximum benefit out of it. So I think it's worth saying before we get into how awesome they are and some of our optimizing hacks for best using an HSA, if you are eligible for an HSA, and again, if you're not sure, like go ask HR as you're looking at the plans, it should be labeled very clearly. But if you're if you're still not sure, just go ask. They will very easily be able to tell you. And the limits, just so you know, because it's just like a 401k in the sense that the IRS has mandated a particular contribution limit based on whether it's just for yourself or whether it's for family coverage. And teaser, we'll get to a loophole that I don't even fully understand that you're going to explain towards the end, Liz. But the just to give people a sense of what you can put into an HSA, the 2023 contribution limits are $3,850 for just individual insurance coverage. Or if you have a family plan, the limit is $7,750. If you're 55 and older, you can contribute an additional $1,000 to either of those amounts as a catch-up contribution. And the, the amounts next year are actually going up. So in 2024, it's $4,150 for self-only and $8,300 for family coverage. And then that extra thousand if you're over 55. Right. And generally, the idea is that you open up an HSA, you put money into it out of each paycheck. And then as you have medical expenses come up, you have this money sitting in your HSA that is ready for you to use to pay for medical expenses. One way to think about it is let's say you had a couple options at work. The HSA plan maybe is the cheapest. You could take the difference in your premiums. Like, okay, I'm only paying $50 a month for the self-insurance instead of $100. I'm going to take that $50 I'm saving and put it into my HSA because I know I have this higher deductible because I know I might have these higher costs later. So it gives people a chance to save money. And then you have that money available if you have to go get a prescription, um, get an MRI, go to the emergency room, whatever it is, you've got this like bucket of money there that's just for health expenses. Yeah. And I think we should say this super clearly because I think you and I both agree on this, Liz. We're going to get into why they're so awesome and, and explain a little bit more about them. But ultimately, just like your 401k, we are recommending that if you have, if you're eligible for an HSA, you can and should get one and that you should max it out. So you gave that example of, you know, putting the extra amount that, you know, you would have been paying towards a premium of a regular plan into it. But ideally, if you can afford to, you should be maxing it out. And we'll get into why, because the tax advantages are yeah. the number one reason why they're so awesome. I agree with that. And I would also add, just like your 401k, just because you can't max it out doesn't mean you shouldn't like contribute to it, right? So even if you can just yeah, cut, as and, much and as I know you can. don't, I know you yeah, agree yeah. with that, but just to put a finer point on it, like even if you can only put $1,000 into your 401k, even if you can only put $500 yes. into your HSA, it's still worth it. These tax advantage accounts, I mean, are are great. And the HSA specifically has such great tax advantages. I'm honestly afraid they're going to like take it away. <laughs> yeah. So it's like too good to be true. It's a hot, sexy asset. I'm telling you. <laughs> 
like, limited time. Bye now. Yeah, Why do we always sound like we're trying to sell people something? <laughs> we get <laughs> nothing get... if you, we get no commissions if you exactly. decide to get a high deductible plan and you contribute to an HSA. Exactly. Okay. So why are they so awesome? Let me start with the first thing because this, this is one of those things that I didn't understand. So like the lady, you know, from my employer's broker would stand up and say this every year and she'd be like, an HSA is a triple tax advantaged account. And I was like, that's nice. I do not know what that means. Yeah. So when they say, when they, when we, when anyone says triple tax advantage, this is what we mean. So one, you can make tax deductible contributions. So money comes out of your paycheck. If you have a job and your insurance is attached to your employer, it goes into this account. It's pre-tax money, just like your 401k. So it lowers your taxable income on that paycheck. And that's tax advantage number one. Can I just give an example? So if you put in $3,850, which is the annual limit for an individual this year for an HSA, you can reduce your taxable income by $3,850. So that that's almost $4,000 you're not paying taxes on. Exactly. That's great. That's huge. But wait, there's more. There's more. <laughs> so then you put this money into the account. While it's sitting there, it might earn a little bit of interest or you might have the option to invest it. And as that money grows in your account, you don't pay any taxes on the growth. But wait, there's, there's more. more. <laughs> you also get tax-free withdrawals. So when you take money out of your HSA to pay for qualified medical expenses, you get to take that money out tax-free. So that's things like doctor's visits, prescriptions. If you go to the emergency room, if you go to urgent care, you can use that money. You never have to pay taxes on it. So compare that to like I I would guess a lot of people in our audience probably are familiar with when you make contributions to your 401k, you're choosing between pre-tax or Roth, right? So Mm -hmm. you either pay taxes as the money goes in or you pay taxes as the money goes out. This is the best of both. No taxes ever. Any, (laughs) I don't say ever, because there's obviously, if you don't follow the rules, you'll pay taxes on it eventually. But if you use it for qualified medical expenses, you got, you know, you didn't pay taxes on what you put into it. You didn't pay taxes on what it grew to because you can't, I think most HSAs allow you to invest it mm-hmm. into it, yeah. you can choose index funds. So you're, mm-hmm. you literally have like money in the market, but it's locked in your HSA, invested in what you want to invest it in, just like a 401k within the choices that if it's sitting with your company that it offers. Right. And we'll, we'll talk about what it looks like when you leave a company, but, and then you don't pay any taxes. I mean, that's like, bam, bam, bam. That's like, exciting. imagine if there was a 401k or an IRA like that, like, oh, it's just pre-tax money that goes in and then you never pay taxes on that money ever. I mean, yeah, that would this be is amazing. how I feel about meditation. You like keep knocking out the benefit and you're like, like, why wouldn't you do it? <laughs> it's crazy. It's free. We, it's free money. Okay. So the second really cool thing about HSAs, and I shouldn't even say second, that first one was like a trifecta of awesome. The coolest. Yeah, the coolest. <laughs> and there's more. So the second thing, which I just said, I realize now, is that you can invest the funds and they keep growing over time. So Liz, you said this earlier, and like the biggest difference between this and an FSA is there's no use it or lose it rule mm-hmm. like an FSA. You can use it anytime. You can wait. I, I have money in an HSA that I put in, you know, during a few years when I realized how awesome HSAs were and I had high deductible health plans. And that money I have invested and it continues to grow tax-free. And I haven't taken it out yet, which we'll, we'll get into why, but I don't, there's no time limit on when I need to take it out by, right? Like I can decide right. if I get in a time crunch, I, I get in some sort of financial crunch, I can take it out next week or I could take it out 10 years from now or 40 years from now. And, right. and all that time it's growing. It is in the market growing tax 
free. Yeah. So the money never expires. And that includes if you change employers, that includes if you change healthcare plans, that includes if you stop contributing to your HSA, if you switch to a non-HSA compatible healthcare plan in the future, that money's yours. It's just like you opened a checking account or a savings account at your bank or like your taxable brokerage account. Like that money is yours. It's got your name on it forever. Mm -hmm. I like it. Okay. The third thing that we both think is very cool about HSAs is that they really are really flexible. So you can use your HSA money for all kinds of things that maybe you wouldn't even expect. So the things you would expect, you can use it for dental care. You can use it for vision care. You can use it for prescriptions. You can use it for a lot of over-the-counter medications. I'll point out one thing. You cannot use HSA money to pay your premiums. So either your premiums for your health insurance through work or after you're retired, you can't use it to pay your premiums to buy health insurance, but any actual health-related costs. I see. Are you Googling? me to verify. No, I'm Googling something <laughs> because there is a weird loophole in that. Oh, You can pay your COBRA premiums from your HSA mm, because true, that is true. temporarily and it is assumed that you are often unemployed while you're on COBRA, even though like I was on COBRA after willingly leaving a company. Yep. And so that is the one loophole. I only, I had a conversation, a spirited, friendly conversation with a friend we were talking about, not you, someone else we were talking about early retirement. And they made a comment like, oh, but I have all this money sitting in my HSA. So I'll just use that to pay for health insurance. And I was like, well, in my classic Liz way, I was like, I don't think you can do that. In my head, I was like, I know for sure you can't do that, but I don't want to be rude. <laughs> well, and even if you could, we'll, we'll get to this, but you, I don't believe you should unless you are in a bind and you need the money. Because again, all those tax benefits is mm. if you can afford to, which we'll get into this more, but I'll tease it now. If you can afford to, you should leave that money sitting in growing tax-free for as long as possible in your HSA. Yeah. Might think, but what if I don't have the receipts later? We'll get into why you why it doesn't yeah. matter. About why your HSA is a secret retirement mm -hmm. account. Yeah. But you can't, okay, so getting back to this, the flexibility of it, you can use it for lots of things. So you can generally use your HSA money for the same stuff that you use an FSA money for. If you're not sure, it's really easy to figure it out. Like literally Google, can I use HSA money for yeah. Tylenol, Band-Aid, sunscreen, like whatever you're trying to figure out. It's also great because you can use it for things that wouldn't necessarily be covered by your health insurance. So Maggie and I have, have alluded a couple of times and we'll talk more about the details of how to use this money in retirement. But let's say that's not your strategy. You could still leverage an HSA strategy to pay for something like fertility treatment. So like, let's say your company doesn't offer any coverage for fertility treatments. Your insurance doesn't offer any coverage for you to fertility treatments. You could max out your HSA and then use that, you know, roughly $4,000 or $8,000 to pay for those treatments. And then you're using pre-tax money. So you're essentially giving yourself a big discount on a chunk of that bill. Yeah. Which is another reason why, I mean, I think you you said this briefly when you were saying this, typically, typically people that are young and invincible tend to go for high deductible plans. But if you can swing high deductible plans and an HSA as a result, when you're younger, it's just a great, it's just like mm -hmm. your 401k or anything that's growing with compound interest, the earlier you put money into it, the better. And so think about if you start doing this in your early twenties and then you get to be 30 and you are paying for really expensive fertility treatments. It's a great mm -hmm. option for something like that. Yes. Or I talked to someone the other day who said, you know, my plan was my husband and I put all this money into our HSAs in, in our 20s because we know when we have kids in our 30s, we're going to switch over to like a PPO plan, yeah. and, but we're going to have all this money banked for our healthcare expenses. Yeah. That's a, 
that's an interesting point. Another thing that is just worth noting, and then we'll get back to the flexibility piece, is one thing that we very thoughtfully did in our household to be able to let, it's like if if, if it doesn't make sense for both people, or like you said, you know, you had people who pre-kids were doing HSAs because they knew when they had kids, they were going to want a different kind of plan. Greg and I purposely chose, but before when we were working and doing this under our employers, he had some health conditions that made him less want a high deductible plan anyways. So we put all the kids on his insurance Mm. and then I did a high deductible plan on my own. Mm. And so it at least allowed our family in some way to participate. Right. Sometimes when I, I'm not laughing at what you just said, because that's a great idea. I thought you were going to tell me about this loophole that I don't fully understand, which means. We'll save that for the end because it's like the most uh, corner case thing. It does not apply to a lot of people, but I think it's just kind of neat. I just chuckle sometimes when we start to have these conversations because clearly in case there are any international listeners out there, none of this makes sense to you because healthcare in the United States is totally banana pants. And we're like, oh, if you save and invest in your 20s, you'll be able to afford health insurance for your healthcare costs in your 30s. Which is kind of insane when you say it out loud, right? Right. Or like, oh, we had to get strategic and like put all the kids on the person who already has a condition because you know you're going to hit your deductible. Like a thing I think all the time is healthcare in this country, lots of opinions about it. it. It's not working well for anyone. Yeah. But what we can do day to day is figure out how to get the most out of the system that we do have today. Like it, yeah. we're not saying that this is great, but like this is the way to maximize the system we live in. Totally. This is like the one hot sexy asset that exists in an otherwise broken <laughs> medical system. In otherwise a sea of broken assets. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. So getting back to flexibility, which again, I know we made this reference earlier, but it is ironic that HSAs are so flexible, but they're not flexible spending accounts. I know. Um, they're not where the word flexibility actually sits. So the other thing is after the age of 65, you can withdraw the funds from your HSA for non-medical expenses without any sort of penalty, though at that point, income tax would apply. It's only tax-free on the withdrawal if you're using it for medical expenses. So it kind of turns into like an IRA at that point. Um, But that's in terms of flexibility, it's good to know if you just never, if you end up with so much money in your HSA and it grows over time and you can feel like you can't use it and you put too much into it, you can still access it in your retirement. If you are in perfect health and you never have a medical expense for the rest of your life. Good for you. One, please write a book so I can read it. And two, you could still have access to your HSA money and you'll be totally fine. So <laughs> drum roll, putting this all together. So we know a couple of things about the HSA now that we've talked about, right? So it's a triple tax advantaged account. You put in money pre-tax, grows tax-free. You can take it out tax-free as long as you use it for medical expenses. We talked about how there is no time limit on when you have to use it. There is also no time limit on how long until you reimburse yourself. And if you don't end up needing to use it for medical expenses, it turns into basically a traditional IRA when you retire. And so that is why some people, I don't know who coined this originally, called the HSA like the ultimate retirement account or the ultimate early retirement account. One way to quote unquote hack your HSA is let's say you're in your 30s, you're maxing out your HSA every year. You still have to go to the doctor sometimes. You still have to buy a prescription sometimes. You save those receipts. You scroll them away in a Mm -hmm. secret place in a special envelope. You take pictures, save them on your phone, whatever it is. Then when you retire, you can start reimbursing yourself for those receipts throughout the 
the years. So like, let's say you retire. I don't want your comment about retiring to confuse anyone at any point in the future where right. you all of a sudden need money. Right. You run into a buy, a financial issue, like whatever, or in early retirement, whatever. Right. Let's say you're Maggie and you retired at 41. <laughs> what up? <laughs> and you didn't do your math right. And then you're like, oh, actually I could use a little extra money. But you, well, you might be in a situation. I know this isn't your exact situation, but you might think, okay, I've got all this money that's kind of tied up in my 401k. I don't want to access it until later. I've got all this money tied up in my IRA. I don't want to access that until later. Your HSA money you can take out now without penalty if you have receipts that you can reimburse yourself for. So you yeah. essentially, every time you pay for something and you save that medical receipt, like you're paying something for $10, $20, $100, that's $10, $20, $100 that you can reimburse yourself for at any point for the rest of your life, whenever you need the money. Early retirement, emergency, you want a new TV, whatever it is. And correct me if I'm wrong, but can't it be for any one of my family members either? Or is it just me? Yes, you can use HSA money to pay for medical expenses for your dependents. Dependents, not spouse maybe, right? You can use it for your spouse too. I'm trying to think of how it works. Like, I guess if you paid for stuff for your kids when they were younger, then you could still reimburse yourself for it later. I don't see why not. I don't think about the kids. That's why you have to remind me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was just double checking because I thought I read this one somewhere. So yeah, you can use the money from your HSA to pay for your spouse. I know you can do your kids, your dependents, but you can yeah. also use it to pay for your spouse's medical expenses as long as those expenses fit the IRS rules. So it's similar to right. a 529 in the sense that you can use your 529 plan to pay for another familial member's yep. education if you want. Not just anybody's, right. I think, but a family member's education. I would I would assume that the rule is that the, the expense has to be incurred while they were your dependent. So like you can't, you yes. know, if your kids are in their 40s, you can't pay for their stuff. And that's um, probably fair. Yeah. But you could pay for it now if they're teenagers and then reimburse yourself later. Yes. So I, I'll give a real life example. In the last year, my family, I mean, we did it in the expense review at last six months has incurred $20,000 in medical expenses from Greg got LASIK, I got braces, Kate got braces. Right. And I got, and I did TMJ last year. And that was like another, or a couple of years ago, that was 4,000. So I've kept these big receipts. I actually mm -hmm. don't even keep my receipts for the like 10 and $20 stuff anymore mm, because I have so many big receipts and I kind of keep a spreadsheet of them. And I know at some point I'll, I'll catch up if I, you know, get to restart doing an HSA again, but I, you've got the receipts for when you I've got them. the receipts. And so I just hang on to them and I have decent documentation. Yep. You know, like I make sure, even though I'm not filing it with insurance, like when I did my TMJ treatment and I like, you know, pay, I put it on a credit card or something. I was like, can you please give me the like official receipt? So if I was filing this, I have it. Yep. And the official, and so I just make sure to ask for the official, a very official looking paperwork. I don't want just some like mm -hmm. random credit card receipt for four grand. Right. And make sure you have good documentation. Like Liz said, save it somewhere special where you're not going to lose it. Keep a log of it, whatever you need to do, because that is essentially the documentation you need that at any point I could submit one of the receipts, a partial receipt, you know, all of it, get all my money with paying yep. no taxes on it. Just to put two really fine, super nerdy detailed points on that. One, you don't even submit the receipt when you reimburse yourself. You just reimburse yourself out of your HSA. Like you just go in and say like process a reimbursement and you can write yourself a check from your HSA. You can just say reimburse. You have to have the receipts in case you get audited, but it's not like an FSA where you submit the receipt and then someone reviews it and approves it. That is so interesting. It's just kind yeah. of like on the honor system until you get audited. It's just like when you file your taxes, right? Like you can write yeah, off charitable donations, yeah. but you don't actually have to mail in the receipts with your tax yeah. return. So it's, it's very similar to that. I'm not, I mean, still have your receipts, like do it right. Yeah. That's good <laughs> to know that I don't need, I'm always like, oh, do I have the right? I mean, I have like legit receipts, but do I have like, yeah. I'm always like, is this the right one? Because FSAs were kind of finicky 
sometimes totally. they would independent care ones too. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, they're not like taking this after school receipt from paying for right. after school care. Yeah, this is not like that. You are the own approver of your reimbursements. And then the second just really fine detail point on this is that you can use receipts that are dated anytime after you have established and opened an HSA for yourself. So let's say you've never heard of HSAs before today and you decide to open your first one at some point this year or next year, but you had receipts from last year. You're like, oh, I had this $20,000 surgery or I had all this dental work done. You can't use those receipts because they're from before you established that you have an HSA. That's a great, great point. So the, the last point on why they're so awesome is portability. Mm -hmm. So I just went through this myself. I left my company. My HSA was with like WageWorks or whoever, I don't know, managed all that stuff for our company. It was a very simple process, similar to moving my 401k. I moved it over to Fidelity. So I moved it over to my brokerage. Most brokerages, well, I think I'd say all brokerages have an option for you to open an HSA with them and then move your funds over. So it's yours. It's not like it's something that sits with the company or Mm -hmm. kind of the way an FSA like sits with someone else. You don't have like immediate access to the money without submitting stuff. It is your money. Doesn't matter if you change jobs, if you change insurance plans. It's it's very similar to a 401k in that in that sense of you can move it and it's very portable. You can move it wherever you need to when yep. you need. And if your employer has a crummy plan, like let's say they don't offer great investment options or they're super high fees or they don't offer an investment option at all. Most do, but some don't. You can also roll that money into an HSA through another company. So you could make contributions through payroll. And then either when you change jobs or like once a year or whenever you want, you could roll that money from your crummy plan into like a good, (laughs) you could open your own account with Fidelity or someone else and have better options. That's really interesting. So I could have done that before I left work. I think most HSAs you can. I am, I would triple check that, but I know that you, I know a lot of companies, a lot of company plans you can, you definitely can when you don't work there anymore. And I think that you can do it at any time. Okay. But a lot of these plans are managed by employers and they just like anything that's managed by employers, there's choices. There are things yeah. that are regulated by the federal government. And then there are things that are just choices from your employer. Yeah. And that's why sometimes these things get a little bit confusing because you think something's a rule, but it's just because your employer, your employer has, did it that way. Yeah, your employer is put a layer. Like I, the FSA is an interesting one. My employer had a rule. There was an amount that the IRS lets you put into an FSA, mm-hmm. but my employer capped FSA contributions at like $900 a year for highly compensated employees. That's probably also a result of federal regulation. Though. Oh, it's, it's one of those plans that has the, um, what's it called? Like, ugh, cause you're a highly compensated employee. They, there's rules about some plans that they can't benefit highly compensated employees more than they benefit non highly compensated employees, but they probably made that choice ahead of time to, to make sure that they didn't fail like the that's component. fair because you're only allowed to do a dcp if you're a highly compensated employee also and so maybe those are those i don't know examples of good point but there's so i've seen just at my own employers i've had an hsa where sometimes there's a minimum balance that you have to keep in cash and then you can only invest what's above that so like i had a plan where i had to keep a thousand dollars just in cash in my hsa and then anything that was above that i could invest and then some anything above two thousand dollars i could invest sometimes yeah. there's a fee every time you invest. Sometimes there's just a monthly fee to have the account. So those are all, sometimes it's your employer's choice. Sometimes it's like the yeah. HSA vendor. So it's just, it's a little, it gets There was, I now recall there was something weird when I was leaving where I was trying to do some stuff in advance and it wouldn't actually let me move all of the funds because some of them were, they, it's not like they, it was kind of like they weren't vested yet for me to have full yeah. access, but interesting. it was, it was similar to what you were saying. And again, those I'm sure were layers that the manager of the HSA put on there. Those weren't like IRS rules. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. Although speaking of something that your employer gets a choice in some HSA plans, your employer also might make an HSA contribution for you. So if you sign up for an HSA compatible insurance plan, you open the health savings account, your employer might put in $100, $500, $2,000. And one thing to know about HSAs is that if your employer does put in money on your behalf, that counts towards your maximum. So it's not like 401k where there's a maximum for you and then your employer can put in more on top of that. It all counts. Yeah, it's awesome. So is everything awesome? Is it all awesome? It's There's so much awesome. It's like a lot of awesome, but not everything is awesome. So everything has pros and cons. There are, you know, some people who have valid criticisms of who HSAs. Who are they and why? <laughs> well, they're, they're real. They're valid. I don't mean to, I don't mean to diminish them, but so it's not even necessarily a criticism of HSAs, more of the plan, the health insurance plans that are tied to them. So high deductible health insurance plans that are tied to these HSAs. This is like a new thing, right? This is a, this is a federal program. Like th- these kinds of tax advantage accounts aren't just something that employers came up with. This is something that Congress <laughs> came up with. And the idea be- behind these high deductible healthcare plans paired with an HSA is that it was supposed to make people who enroll in these kinds of plans more proactive consumers of their own healthcare. So on a high deductible plan, I'll just give an example. If I'm on a PPO plan in the land, I'm not going to go down the rabbit hole of jargon. What's though. a PPO plan? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And just like, oh, technically it's not a, a hot, PPO sexy asset. That's all you need to know. Means this, but it can also mean this. Anyways, so if you're on a non high deductible plan, you might have like a copay for your prescription, right? And you may have a prescription and your copay is, is going to be like $15 or $30 or $50, right? If you, and no matter what pharmacy you go to, you're going to pay that same copay for your prescription. If you're on a high deductible, plan and you have that same prescription, you might shop around like Walgreens might have your prescription for $72. Walmart might sell it for $89. You might be able to get it online for less. You might be able to pay more for, um, you might pay more if you go to a, a smaller pharmacy. So the prices can change. So the idea with these high deductible plans is like, let's make the people who are actually using the healthcare smart consumers who are going to go online and say, okay, where's the cheapest place I can get my prescription. If your doctor recommends you get an MRI, you might shop around and say, okay, actually I'm going to save 200 bucks by driving across town and getting an MRI somewhere else versus the place that my doctor suggested. But I think there have been some studies that show it hasn't really changed healthcare behavior in that way. I mean, I can tell you, I have an HSA plan. I don't shop around as much as I should, even though I know how to, I know I can go on the website. I know I can look up prices. I I haven't really done that. I think the studies showed maybe it, it, it happened the most with prescriptions and not really with any other services. And it just is a way it's also, the kind of thing that because consumers are having to pay more, right? We talked about how insurance is either pay more now or pay more later. It can sometimes discourage people from going and getting the healthcare that they need. And Meg, I think you've talked about that, right? It 100% caused me to delay care many times. I mean, not with like, if I was like, you know, I felt like a lump in my breast or something like really Mm -hmm. serious. But when I had a cold, I was like, well, I'm going to suck it up. Half the time when I go to the doctor with a cold, they tell me to just ride it out anyway. So I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ride it out because when I had a high deductible plan and when I would go to urgent care, it was around 200, 250 bucks to pay for mm-hmm. that visit. And now on my current plan, it cost me like 20 or 30 bucks to go to urgent care. I don't think twice about it. And so right. I definitely on a regular plan, like a non-high deductible plan, am way more quick to just go to the doctor and nip something in the bud quickly, which isn't always, I mean, it's questionable on whether that's good or bad, right? There's a I mean, right. cold do just sometimes go away. And so, right. <laughs> it, but, it, but I definitely would delay things and really kind of wait to see how 
serious they were because I was like, and and I didn't do some things like, you know, the dermatologist, like my adult acne, things that are a little bit, they're not going to hurt me. It it, was a little bit more cosmetic that I just didn't, they weren't urgent. And I was like, I'll deal with that later. Exactly. And and that's a big criticism of these kinds of plans is that they can just put people, you know, again, the idea was to sort of empower consumers, but if you've empowered consumers to just be afraid of the cost, (laughs) then they delay care and, and potentially don't go to the doctor when they need it. It ends up being a bigger deal later, ends up being a more expensive deal later. And so that's a big criticism of these kinds of plans. I worked for a company that actually thought had a really great option. It was a high deductible plan, but the deductible was $2,000. There was no co-insurance. So it's like once you hit $2,000, you know, everything was covered for the rest of the year. That's awesome. It felt like a great balance because I got the benefit of being able to use an HSA. The company got the benefit of me being a wiser consumer because I didn't really want to go pay $2,000 of my own healthcare costs unless I felt like something was needed. But at the same time, it wasn't too hard in a big year to hit that $2,000. And I also got some peace of mind knowing like my worst case scenario for a year is $2,000. Mine was like, I think 10,000 or something much. Like 2,000, maybe it was 8,000 or 10,000, something like that. Dang. And the family one was like 20,000. It was pretty high. I mean, it it was, yeah. I don't know if that was just at our company, but. (laughs) Insurance is is a whole nother thing. (laughs) Yeah. We could could talk for another couple hours, but. So, so that's one big downside. And then the second criticism I've read about HSAs is that the tax benefits are great, right? So whether you're using an HSA as a secret backdoor retirement ultimate mega hack, or you're just using it kind of the way it was designed, like I'm just putting money into this HSA so that I have it when I have medical expenses, the tax write-off mostly benefits people who have higher incomes. Now that's the case for almost all tax write-offs, <laughs> like because people who generally have higher incomes pay more in taxes, but you can think of someone who's at a lower income, maybe they're looking at this high deductible healthcare plan and they're like, okay, this has the lowest premiums. This is what I'm going to sign up for. If they're putting money into an HSA, it may not be realizing a a super meaningful tax benefit for them if they are not paying a substantial amount of income tax. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely, to to your point, that is the majority of tax write-off benefit people with higher income. In my mind, the criticisms of HSA, again, they're really around our healthcare system in general. The only real criticism I can think of of using an HSA is that you just might trip up and make a mistake. So I have accidentally over-contributed to an HSA, which was just annoying to back out that contribution and get the money back. There's some rules that you just have to be aware of. Like you can't be covered as a dependent on someone else's health insurance. You can't be covered by like Medicare or TRICARE. You can't have an FSA at the same time. So there's just some things to be wary of there. And some people might think like, oh, it's not worth it. But when I do the math on this, it's it's completely so, worth yeah. it for me. So worth it. Yeah. It's a yeah. great, it is an awesome benefit. Yeah. Okay. Should we hit just a few final tips if you are thinking about getting an HSA or perhaps already have one? We already said this one, but it is worth restating because it really is the like, you already take what's a hot, sexy asset and <laughs> it just sounds better than a, than a health savings account. You already take what is an awesome product and make it even better by the fact that you don't, if you can afford to not take the money out of your HSA and let it continue to grow tax-free so that you can take it out tax-free when you might need it more down the road, it would behoove you to not actually use it for medical expenses in real 
real time, right? If you can mm-hmm. use it as a savings vehicle, that is the extra magic of an HSA. And so, mm-hmm. like we said earlier, like that's our recommendation if you can afford to do that, right? Yep. There is no time limit on reimbursing yourself. That is the beauty of it. And, and that is our recommendation, again, if you can afford that, is save your receipts, let that HSA continue to grow tax-free and wait as long as you can to let all that compound interest continue to grow tax-free. Yeah, And then when you need to pull out that money, again, pulling it out tax-free. It's not going to hit your income when you pull it out. You can pull it out in small doses. You could pull it out all at once for some, you know, big, mm-hmm. big splurge for something that you want to, you know, one of your kids is getting married. You want to pay for their wedding and be like, HSA, weddings on the HSA, whatever you want. <laughs> Whatever the HSA can afford, you get to have for your wedding. (laughs) I love that. Another way to think of it, though. So if you can't afford to max it out, like not everyone has an extra four or $8,000 sitting around to put in an HSA and then not use for a couple of years, right? So you can do a smaller amount. The other thing is that if you decide you you can't afford it, it's not in your budget, you evaluate all the options and you just decide, I I don't want to do this save all the receipts forever hack. Even if you're just using your HSA, put money in, use it in real time as you have medical expenses coming up. My tip here is use your own credit card to pay for those expenses and then reimburse yourself just immediately out of your HSA so that you still get the credit card cash back. You still get the points. I was talking to someone and they were complaining like their HSA debit card was always getting declined or wasn't working or expired or whatever. And I was like, why would you ever use the debit card that came with your HSA? You do not need to do that. Use your even think card. mine came with a debit card. Maybe I could request one, but I don't have one. It yeah, never, you can definitely request it never it's sent like a, to me. It's like a regular bank account, right? You can get a yeah. debit card, you can get checks, but don't use that. Pay for it with your own credit card. Get whatever you're yeah. into. If it's miles, if it's cash back, if it's points, <laughs> go, go pay for it yourself and then reimburse yourself out of your HSA. Cool. Okay. Another thing, I can't remember if I said this earlier, so apologies if it's a repeat, but it's worth repeating. I think I did say this. Yeah. You can be strategic. So it's not all or nothing on, you know, doing an HSA this year. And I, if I've got to continue to do one for the next 10 years, right. You can say like, Hey, I don't expect a lot of medical stuff for the next year or two. I'm going to try out a high deductible plan. I'm going to kind of do it as an experimental year. And I'm going to max out my HSA in that year, put as much as I can into it. And then if it doesn't really work out for you next year, you can go back to a regular plan and not a high deductible plan. And then you can, you know, swing back. Like there, there are times, I was talking about this with someone this morning, right? There's times when you can predict some of your larger medical expenses. You can never predict mm-hmm. the emergencies and the the just the stuff you can't predict, but you can predict in time your kids' braces. And you know, most of those things are not emergencies. They'll tell you like, yeah, in the next year or so you need to get braces. And so you can plan it for the following year and you know, you can get orthodontia dental plan that year that you need it as an example. But you can do the same thing in terms of it's not all or nothing for the rest of your life. You can mm-hmm. try to strategically time, like I said earlier, who in your family has it. So it doesn't doesn't have to be that you and your spouse both go HSA or both go a high deductible plan. Could be that you stick all the kids on one plan and then, you know, one of you who is in a better health situation for it goes that route. So I just all of these things, like you said, it's not all or nothing. And you can be very strategic about when you take different types of insurance throughout your life. Yep. Fully agree with that. Okay. Another HSA tip. And this is again, one of those like real nerdy detail things that a lot of people do not care about. I care very deeply. If you can help it, don't contribute to an HSA outside of your paycheck because when you make paycheck contributions to your HSA, you get a better tax treatment. So there might be situations where you want to contribute to an HSA 
outside of your paycheck. So if you're early retired like Maggie and you were on a high deductible healthcare plan, you would just open your own HSA with Fidelity or whoever you want to open it with. You'll make your contributions directly. Totally fine. There was a company like maybe a year or so. I kept seeing ads and like sponsored content on Instagram and they were like, oh, don't use your employer's HSA. Go through us because we've got these like low fees. We've got these great investment options and they might be a good option to roll an HSA into, but you want to make paycheck contributions if you can, because paycheck contributions to your HSA are exempt from FICA, meaning you don't pay um, Medicare or social security taxes on those contributions. Whereas if you make a contribution outside of your paycheck, it would if that income is subject to Medicare and social security taxes, you would still have to pay taxes on that money. So the I detail is not That's important. Cool. <laughs> Do you know what FICA stands for? Federal? I don't. That was not a trick insurance. question. I was like, what does I don't know. You, you got the first two. Federal Insurance Contributions Act. Mm, there you go. Yeah. FICA, I know that it stands for Social Security and Medicare. <laughs> More and so it's, it's like 7, 7.2, 7.6, something like that. 7% and some change is what you're going to get there. Again, the, the details aren't super important. Just know that like if you have the option, if you're thinking, oh, I just am going to open one up with Fidelity. I have a bunch of other stuff through Fidelity. I'll do it myself. I won't go through my employer. You want to go through your employer if possible. You'll get a better tax treatment. And then that also reminds me, this again is just like one of those, this is like the nittiest of grittiest details. Um, HSA contributions are exempt from federal income tax, exempt from Social Security and Medicare if you make it through employer contributions, and then exempt from state income tax in almost all states. There's a couple states. I think California is one of them. And Maggie's Googling it. I can tell she's going to help me out. Washington. So state income taxes are also waived on HSA contributions in almost all states, with the exception of California, New Jersey, and Alabama. Oh, I don't. Why did I think Washington? All right. And if you're in California, well, that's New assuming or Alabama, this source is accurate. It probably is. <laughs> it's still worth it to make the contribution. Like, don't get mixed up and think, oh, if I'm in California, there's no tax benefits. You still get the federal tax benefit and you get the Social Security and Medicare benefit. Benefit if you make the contributions through payroll, you just don't also get a state tax break. Well, so. some other some other sources say it's just California, and New Jersey. So I'm just gonna say I'm not sure about Alabama. If you're in Alabama, I'm gonna need you to Google that yourself. <laughs> this podcast is super helpful, right? Just not for people in Alabama. <laughs> we, you know, I feel like we have shared like 59 facts about HSAs. If we're missing one fact, then I think yeah, we we're should okay. have a disclaimer on all of our podcasts. That is, you know, we're doing our best. We don't know everything. Things constantly change. And so you should always double check and do your own research. And don't don't say like, oh, I did this because Liz and Maggie said to do it. Like, go double check and, you know, make sure you're doing it right on your end for your unique circumstances. And we are enthusiasts, in. not professionals. <laughs> yeah, I have. I used I used to say this all the time. But I would be like, don't just go do something, because especially for me, like some anonymous person on the Internet whose username implies she's probably drunk right now. I know, right, for real. <laughs> Sad to do it. Feels like a warning if I ever heard exactly. one. Also, you might mishear. You might be like, oh, I heard this thing on a podcast and they said, uh, put money into your HSA because it expires at the end of the year. Like, you know, don't rely on just your memory from the podcast. Go do your own homework. And don't rely on our memory. Gosh. <laughs> My memory's pretty good. Mine's not so great. Okay. Okay. One one more weird thing. Is this I'll the very last this. weird thing? Okay. This is like the thing we've touched on a couple times in this episode. This applies to very few people, but if it applies to you, it could be potentially very lucrative. So uh, it applies to you if you are either a child, co still covered probably on your parents' plan. So you can be covered on your parents' plan up until you're 26. But if you are covered 
by their plan, but you're not a tax dependent, meaning they're not writing you off as a, so this would be for the child. So imagine you're like 25, you're still on your parents' insurance, but they're not claiming you as a dependent still. Okay. Right? So you're that kid, you're 25, you're still on your parents' insurance. They are on a family high deductible plan, Mm -hmm. but you are not their tax dependent. So if that is the case, the IRS considers you covered by a family plan. So you get to make contributions to the family level, but you are not a dependent of your parents. So the IRS doesn't consider you like part of their family for tax reasons. Ultimately, what that means is that if you are, again, the example is like 25 year old, still on your parents' insurance, they're not taking you as a dependent. You could contribute up to that like seven or $8,000 family maximum just to your own HSA. We're totally separate from whatever your parents are contributing to their HSA. Like your insurance is together, but your HSA is separate. So you're saying the the kid can also, so if I have like a 24 year old that's still, or a 21 year old that's still on my plan, I don't get to claim them anymore because they're filing their own taxes. Yep. But they're on, they're still, I'm paying for medical coverage with them as a child on my plan because yep. you can do that now as part of the Affordable Care Act. Yep. You're saying, of course I can do it up to the family amount. They also could open an HSA. Yeah. So let's say your oldest is Again, you know, 21, 22, 23, old enough, you're you're not claiming them as a dependent on your tax return anymore, but you do have them. Let's just say it's Maddie. I have Maddie on your insurance plan because you're allowed to do that. She's allowed to be on your insurance up until she's 26. So she's, right. again, 22, 23, 24. She's still on your insurance. You're paying for her to be on your insurance, but you're not claiming her as dependent anymore. So you're not putting her on your tax return. You and Greg can put $8,000 into an HSA and Maddie on her own can put $8,000 into an HSA. She qualifies to open a family HSA That's on her own. That example usually would feel so far off to me, but Maddie just got her learner's permit the other day. And so I feel like before we know it, she's going to be open an HSA. And now I'm excited to know that. Well, so the other place that this loophole applies is for non-married partners who are on a family plan. So let's just imagine again, let's say you and Greg were not married, but you live together as unmarried partners. Okay. And let's also in this situation, just imagine that one of you still has a job. Um, let's actually, not, I guess you don't have going. to still have a job. I guess it doesn't matter. It's okay. I can imagine it. Well, let's, let's say, say Greg, if we have to imagine, let's say Greg still has a job. <laughs> okay. Let's say Greg's Greg is still working and Greg's company allows you to have non-married partners covered under your health insurance plan. Some companies do some companies don't. So Greg can say, Hey, I'm not married to Maggie, but I'm still going to put Maggie on my health insurance because she needs health insurance. <laughs> and now you are covered under a family plan, but you're sing, you're, you were technically single individuals in the eyes of the IRS, but you're covered under a family plan. So then each one of you would be able to put the seven or $8,000 family maximum into an HSA. So Greg could put $8,000 in, he would do that through his employer, through paycheck contributions. And then you would just open your own HSA through Fidelity okay. or wherever, and you could also put in the family maximum. I'm in. getting divorced. I like it. <laughs> Great loophole. It's Congratulations. It's one of those things. I've read about it because I just think it's really interesting. And it's like one of the few tax loopholes I feel like I totally understand in my brain. I'm like, oh, that, that just makes me feel smart. It's not like written into the IRS code this way, but multiple people have evaluated this, weighed in, and said, yes, this is... Is, this is how we read and interpret this law. So again, Maggie and I, not lawyers, not tax advisors, just passionate yeah. fans. <laughs> Talk to your
your own accountant slash TurboTax friend. Yeah. Right. Or you can DM me on Instagram and I can, you know, show you some of the articles I've read about this and I'm happy to to share information that way. Okay. I like it. That's my, I think that's like the one thing that I know about that I'm like, damn, I know some stuff. It's a cool (laughs) loophole of all the ways that you can set up your young adult children for success. It's a pretty cool gift to give them in addition to some, some perhaps better insurance options early on. Right, right. Yeah, I think a lot of people that age might not have the cash to put that in, but you know, you could also you could give supplement them the cash. that for them. Yeah, exactly. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, I think we have said that, everything there is to say about HSA. That was a lot of HSA awesomeness. Yeah, I think we can wrap it up. I appreciate you all listening. We know your time is valuable and we appreciate you spending some of it with us. If you've enjoyed this discussion on HSAs, we always appreciate a written review on Apple Podcasts or you can also leave us a rating on Spotify. We really appreciate I really loved the review for Inside Out Money recently. I'm going to get the exact wording wrong, but someone described you, Maggie, as a port in a storm. Was it the person who talked about driving to work really early in the morning? That was someone else. Maybe they said you were a safe harbor. Maybe it wasn't quite port in a storm, but it was some, it was a nautical safety reference and I really appreciated it. Oh, I, I did not pick up on the nautical safety reference, but now I want to read it. And we and I, for what it's worth, I do read all of these. I don't always pick up on the nautical reference in them. Someone did say when they're crawling out of bed at 515 to start another day in a corporate job, early retired Maggie and her rotating series of mostly still working co-hosts make my morning commute so much better. That made me, I remember a morning commute. So that made me very happy. I'm going to go back and reread the port in the storm one. Oh, you're you're right. It is. She said, you know how you just immediately feel that a person is a safe harbor. Maggie is that type of person. That might be one of the nicest compliments I've ever received, honestly. It was so, I almost teared up reading it and it wasn't even about me. <laughs> I was like, well, it eventually so nice. goes on to talk about how awesome the co-hosts are. So yeah. Wow. Yeah. They did not use the term port in a storm, but they basically implied that by saying safe harbor. harbor. It felt my brain interpreted it. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was very nautical. I like it. You're really an anchor. You're really a, 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 a big safe ship. <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> Anyways. Big safe ship makes me think of a hot, sexy asset for some reason. <laughs> you could also leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts, which with uh, any kind kind of metaphor that you choose and something fun and we'll read it out loud so exactly the sillier the more likely we are to read it we also encourage you to share this episode like think of three people that you know who might benefit from this information and share that with them that really helps new listeners find our content yeah i mean you should be texting everyone you know and be like do you have an hsa and why not let's talk about this trifecta of tax awesomeness (laughs) you can also subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts if you have any thoughts or questions we always love to hear from you if we miss anything about HSAs, you let us know. You can leave us a voicemail or text us at 404-981-3370, or you can hit us up on Instagram. Okay. We, we love did your it. feedback and comments. I think we did it. We did we do it? I think we I got, did it. I got that from you. We did it. <laughs> Sounds better when you say it, but. Well, I think we did it. We did it. Good job. Thanks, Maggie. Thanks, Liz. Bye. Bye. Bye.